1: Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Tot- Tottenham, sponsored by NordVPN. Now there's just a the bit to talk about today following Tottenham's late 2-1 win over Liverpool. Joining me as ever, Alistair Gold. Ali, how are you? Yeah, I'm fine. I don't
2: have to do the hosting bit at the start now. It's great. <laughs> uh, did you enjoy your year-long sabbatical, working your way
1: across Spain? I did. I did. It was... Uh... It was good. Good to be back there. least Spurs kept on there, uh, getting the performances and the results. So, yeah, lots to talk about. And uh, it's not just the two of us on the podcast today. Back by popular demand, we have the boss of London, Lee Wilmot. Are you okay, Lee? Yeah, it's nice to be popular. I'm not sure that's entirely <laughs> the case, but there we
0: go. Um, I'm, I'm just pleased you're back, so I don't have to press buttons anymore and do all the kind of the admin stuff around the podcast. So, uh, yeah, welcome back.
1: Thank you. <laughs> right, uh, we'll get straight into the game. Uh, obviously, a number of talking points uh, in this one. Spurs running out two-one winners, goals from Son Heung-min and the Joel Matip own goal uh, with about thirty seconds to go. Spurs, you know, really had to, uh, you know, go right until the end to get the points against nine-man Liverpool, uh, but thankfully they did. So, Ali, you were at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on Saturday Saturday evening. What did you make of that performance?
2: Well, I just want to check, have you kind of wiped all your tears now for Liverpool? I know you'll have been very upset for them with everything that yes, went on on the day. I,
1: I will have been. Uh, <laughs> yeah. At least Spurs won, though. Right result.
2: Just about, they did.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, let's
2: be honest. They rode their luck a little bit. They really should have been a nine men team a little bit more comfortably than they did. But hey, football and Tottenham Hotspur seem to be about these ridiculous late dramatic moments. So at least you've got that. Um, I kind of said in my talking points after the game, which some people disagreed with, I don't know about you guys. I actually thought it was probably one of the least impressive performances from Spurs so far under Postacoglu. And I shouldn't say it was bad. I think we just have such a small sample and they've been so good. So many of the performances. But I actually felt they huffed and puffed a lot and didn't use the width as well as they could have done to really stretch Liverpool and use the extra man to their advantage. And, you know, you had some dribblers on the pitch as well. And Solomon, uh, Madison, Basuma, that all could have kind of, you know, just just pulled them apart that little bit more. And they didn't really do that. But, hey, they got there in the end. That's the main thing. Um, Definitely benefited from a hugely ridiculous, Ridiculous uh, VAR moment or almost VAR moment that never was. Um, I mean, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the red cards. Um, but yeah, all I'd say is Spurs have had their fair share of VAR heartbreak and incidents and things that sh- never should have been. Spurs seem to be the guinea pigs in that when something goes wrong for Spurs, they change the rule after. So I don't think, you know, of any of the teams that are going to feel desperately gutted and sorry for Liverpool, it's going to be Spurs, you know, they'll point to Sissoko's armpit, they'll point to Oliver Skip's head, you know, it's there's loads of incidents where, and it's funny actually, Skip's head was Jotter as well, wasn't it? So there's definitely, you know, people say that eventually things come around and you get, it's all about a cycle, you get your turn to benefit from VAR moments or mistakes and things like that. I think the most ridiculous thing right now is the whole concept of maybe it being replayed or someone to, or someone Liverpool end suggesting it might be. That would be the most ridiculous opening of a door to all kinds of chaos in the future, if that were to ever happen. It would be like acknowledging now any mistake. Yeah, instant replay. And I'd love to see if Liverpool did the same, if it went against them.
1: Yeah, it was uh, human error at the end of the day. I can't see why you can... Uh, play it uh, can understand it say if this came like five years ago and there was no VAR at the time and yeah then human error but when you've got a system in place that can clear everything up and they've just totally got it wrong just complete mess uh, then yeah you're going to feel extremely hard done by and I'm sure everyone would if it was a Tottenham decision what one went against them and uh, what did you make of the decisions then, Lee? Shall we? What should we start with? With the red card first, going order.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, for me, the red card. Uh, I don't really understand some of the pundits' um, comment. Well, I kind of do, but they've they've played the game and they they've they've talked a lot about Gary Neville in particular, Jamie Redknapp, um, Andros Townsend to a lesser extent um, on Sky Sports at the weekend um, when I watched it back. Uh, just talking about how. There was no no malice um no intention um to go over the top of the ball by curtis jones um and they felt it was a harsh red card i don't i don't don't get it i don't get those that opinion really um yes he was trying to win the ball he went over the top of the ball and he's caught eve basuma on the shin in what could have broken his leg um if his foot had been stuck firmly in the ground more than it was um that's a red card all day long for me, um, and I, I get. There's nothing about intent, is there, in the law? No, you you could you could say that about any any situation. Um, mm. You you could say that about Jota on Oliver Skip last last year. Oh, there was no intent to kick him in the head. What? Well, no, but he did. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> just because there's no malice in it, and just because there's no intent. Oh, he didn't go out there and mean to foul him like Roy Keane did on Um, Harland. um that, that that doesn't matter. He's, he's gone in high over the top of the ball and it looked awful. And yeah, I, I get the kind of the point that they're making about the the still that was on the screen when the referee went over. As, as soon as the referee sees that, he's going to make that decision. But he, he should make that decision anyway. It's a red card challenge. Um, he's gone over the top of the ball and could have broken his leg. Um what 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 were these pundits say? Just if he if he had broken his leg, would they have changed his tune? Changed their tune? Um, would it have been a red card then? Because that seems to be the case. Oh, something bad has happened. It's automatically a red card. Um, just because he didn't break his leg doesn't mean it's not a red card challenge for me.
2: Just to say, Liverpool are appealing it. It's just come out as we're recording this.
0: That's the only one they can appeal, though, isn't it? Because they can't appeal two yellow cards. So I don't I don't exactly. don't understand really. I don't, I don't. understand Liverpool's statement from yesterday either. As well that they're gonna, they're gonna do whatever they can and look into it as much as they can. Well, I don't know. I don't know what they're expecting to change, but there we go. Yeah, it's a weird
2: one. It
0: was a weird one. What
2: did you think
1: Gester? Uh, I, I think you've got to look at it from a couple of different angles. I think look at looking at it in normal time on the telly. Obviously, I, wa- I wasn't at the game on Saturday. I watched it. Back last night, and looking at it at normal time, p- perhaps not a red card. But then when it slowed right down, and it depends on the angles. If you look at the angle from, then think what's behind Basuma, then yeah, it goes over the ball and gets him. Obviously, with standing foot, it does not look good. Uh, but Curtis Jones himself, you can tell by his reaction, he didn't even think it was a foul, like let alone a, a yellow card all footballers do that don't they <laughs> that's just the, the go-to yeah but he knew, i mean he had, it, he had his head on his hands at that point when ref was bringing out the yellow card i think hmm. he was shocked and the number of his liverpool teammates were shocked uh but, but straight support- after he put
0: the challenge in straight after he put the challenge in, he held his hands up and he knew he knew he'd done something wrong um when it was there and did he, it, did it check was, on basuma? he did check on basuma yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was in the stadium on Saturday, and when when it went in, I did think, "Oh, they might they might have a look at that again." It did. I was on that side of the stadium, so it did look like it was a bit more than just to come together, as it were. And I did think um, they might they might check this, and lo and behold, they did.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I agree with what you're saying. Obviously, there was no intent there. He's clearly gone to win the ball. He's just gone over the top, and yeah, there's going to be contacts at times. But when you look at it, on the freeze frame and when it's slowed down, everything looks worse in slow motion. And he clearly goes over the top of the ball and gets him on the leg. So by the letter of the law, it's a red card. Yeah, I get the
2: logic that he's. some people are saying he's hit the ball and the ball has taken his foot up over it. But I suppose the counter of that is if your foot is high enough, high enough that that can happen... Then it's not—it's like, it's serious foul play. It's you know, and there's talk about his studs weren't up either. Well, they were because they were at a certain level for to bounce off the ball and then go into Basuma's leg. I—I I, I, got to phrase this in the right way, but I hope that when the appeals panel look at that, they are able to shut out the noise about everything that happened with the VAR, which everyone acknowledges is a complete and utter. Ridiculous mistake, and they look at it in isolation, don't feel like it should be kind of some kind of sympathy appeal kind of thing. Because I do think that unfortunately, and I absolutely did, he did not mean it, but I just think it's a challenge that ended up being serious foul play, whether he meant it or not, and, and whether the angle initially was maybe not that bad, but I still think it would have been a raised challenge, whatever. Um, it's yeah, and also, actually, we'll talk about it in the next one, but it, it did. It was a key moment, obviously, in the game. I actually felt before then that Spurs hadn't been that bad with 11 men. I actually think they probably played better with 11 men on the pitch against 11 than they did when Liverpool went down to 10. Um, Because Liverpool, I thought, I've got to give a lot of credit to Liverpool. I actually thought they were really good Um, on Saturday. I thought they played so well with not only 10, but also nine men. Um, And yeah, Spurs had big struggles. But for the red card, I, I, I just think it is. Can I just bring up as well,
0: um, there's a lot of Spurs fans on social media bringing up, um, obviously because everyone feels like the world's been against Liverpool um, in this game. Um, A lot of Spurs fans are bringing up the fact that Liverpool scored their goal from a tackle um, by Udogi that got Udogi a yellow card where Udogi actually won the ball first um, and then from the free kick, Liverpool go and score their equaliser, obviously. I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm against the Spurs fans in, in that regard because I think that is a free kick on Liverpool as well. Yes, Udogi does get a slight touch on the top of the ball, but he he goes through the back of um, Cody Gakpo once he's kicked the ball as well. And I think that's a free kick as well.
2: It's a perfectly fine tackle. Absolutely fine tackle. Takes the ball and yeah, his, his other leg... Then takes gap. I don't think uh, in this day and age there.
0: you can go through the back of a player after you've got the ball. I don't, I, I just think that's that's where we are. Did
2: with... He was through the side, was it? Well, did he go through him? I thought he went from the side like a normal tackle.
0: No, I'm pretty sure he Same goes. Same kind of tackle yeah. we did on Salah.
2: Uh, well, I'm going to Yeah, d- disagree with you on that one. Um, yeah, I I I didn't think that was. Uh, I thought I got that one wrong, and, and even watching the replays, I didn't change my mind on that. And yeah, but like you said it then created this scenario where it wasn't direct from the free kick, but it was soon after. And it meant that Van Dijk was up there in the penalty box to head it across to go. So, um, yeah, it is. It all swings around about, honestly. All these things happen to you, and, and they do weirdly even themselves out, despite the fact that every club thinks the world's against them.
1: Yeah. Shall we move on to, obviously, the big VAR call, which was Lewis Theus' offside goal? I think we're probably all in agreement, should have stood
2: yeah that's horrendous that's absolutely <laughs> it is horrendous and looking at the reasoning and then the ah, the, oh, just just the kind of the some of the stories about how it happened and just switching off and and there's this acknowledgement now that there was a little moment in time when it seemed that they could maybe go back and look and they didn't take that opportunity because they'd realized i don't know it's all got one of those that's going to come out in the wash when they fully investigate it all um but yeah it, it was ridiculous i i the only thing i would say and i absolutely have fully buying liverpool on this Klopp. everything they said i think about it was absolutely fine it was, it was it was ridiculous what i would say is there's this kind of idea that it would have changed the game completely and i don't entirely buy into that um you, it's like the butterfly effect you don't know how this one incident they were down to 10 men you know it, it the spurs would have still been in the ascendancy uh, they still would have gone on it. If anything, maybe Spurs being a goal behind maybe would have redoubled their efforts. Maybe they would have attacked it in a different way. Maybe Apostol Cogli would have changed the tactics slightly. It's one of those where, yeah, I mean, Liverpool sat kind of back anyway and hit on the counter. I don't think their game plan would have changed by being 1-0 up, really, at that point. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it would have hugely... But we'll never know. That That's the thing. Um, we won't know which way it would have affected it. But I'd imagine if it happened before the Curtis Jones sending off, then maybe you could make a case for it. But I think having afterwards, yeah, 10 men against 11, although, although it was an absolute difficult match in the end, I don't think it would have affected things that much as it has been made out it would have.
1: Yeah. I just can't understand why they couldn't have just gone back, literally like one or two seconds later, VAR getting contact with the referees. Like, what are you doing here? That's a goal. It's just a bit bizarre why they couldn't do that. And I mean, that they'd probably be an absolute hell on in the stadium if, obviously, the play done stopped and then awarded the Liverpool goal. But you want the right outcome at the end of the day and it's just crazy that the fact that they have got it wrong and then they've allowed play to go on and they've not stopped it. Maybe that's something that is going to change in the not-too-distant future because there cannot be a repeat of this situation again because I fully expect Liverpool probably will be in you know, the title mix come the end of the season. If they finish level on points with, say, Man City at the top, everyone's going to point to this game against Spurs. And, you know, Liverpool could have won the league. I agree with what you're saying, Ali, in the fact that, yeah, if the goal stood, there's no guarantee the game would have played out like it wasn't, you know, Gakpo would have scored on the stroke of half-time. Spurs could have still gone and won this game 2-1, 3-1. You just don't know, but... There's just huge, huge question marks over, you know, what's going to come next, really, because this could have, you know, big implications on the title race, potentially at the end of the season, maybe, you know, the top four. Spurs.
0: I was just going to say, everyone's going to be talking about it when Spurs <laughs> win the title by one point, which That's they should it. uh, oh. It's guaranteed. To happen.
1: Spurs will win league, Liverpool will be a point behind or Spurs will win it on goal difference now.
0: Oh,
2: that would be level. awful!
0: I don't know how we would live with that. <laughs> <laughs> I think what you what you said there, though, Guesty, about um, the changing changing the rules, and they've got they've got to do something. I I find it ludicrous that just because the ball they've, they've restarted play, they can't take it back for yeah. a decision that is clearly wrong. Um, you, you you, obviously would have seen in the stadium as well, Ali, that the the um, the checking disallowed goal offside on the big screens was up for a long time, wasn't it? Um, yeah. And I had my children saying to me, are they still checking this? And I said, well, no, they can't because the game's playing on now. They can't be checking it, um, but there must be something they going lines. on. Yeah, well, they, that's, that's the, the thing. Image. They didn't need the lines, did they? Because they could see it was clearly onside. The, the problem lied with the VAR thinking that the on-field call was goal rather than yeah. offside. Um, so when they said check complete, the referee on the pitch played on. Um, that's that's where the big mistake is. And everyone expected VAR to kind of change everything um, and make things better in football. And it's, there's always going to be a human error involved in it. But the one thing we did expect it to, to make right was offsides. And it's just catastrophic, really, that that's gone wrong.
2: Whatever happened to the automatic offside thing? Did the Premier League clubs vote against that? Because there was there was supposed to be a suggestion that that was being put up for a, a possibility. And it was literally a bit like Hawkeye kind of thing. It would just... Uh, didn't they use a semi-automated one at the World Cup yeah, they as well? Did. Yeah, I, I don't understand why, why they voted against that. Maybe I missed something back in the... Um, I'm pretty sure someone told me that. I did see an interesting thing earlier. I'm pretty sure it was an ex-Liverpool player, no doubt, uh, as a pundit, suggested that Spurs should have allowed Liverpool to walk in a goal afterwards. It's like, no one knew. They didn't know at the time, kind of thing. It's just so... Sometimes when it's one of these bigger clubs, there's just such an outcry about it. It's just incredible. I would love to know, if, if this had happened to Spurs, would this have been such a big deal, do you think?
1: Probably not. Uh, it'd still be a major, major talking point, but maybe not the outcry that it has been. But like I said, it's just something you can't have. It just can't be repeated again. Hopefully this is like the only time we see this happen because it's just so, so wrong.
2: Yeah, did Wolves Wolves had a mistake. It was it Man U opening game, wasn't it? Oh, Wolves so, should
1: so- have had the penalty, shouldn't they? Is that the one yeah, you're yeah. referring to when Onan has just... Gone for the ball and clearly, you know, wiped out the striker. And but that's you, so thats what I'm if, saying. That
0: those those ones are—they're still based on a human decision. It's yeah, the, yeah. The, the technology yeah. can't sort it. But the offside is—is is all technology. Essentially, where are you at with technology? Me, both. Well, either of you.
2: I'd Let's start with Guesty. No, no. Now I've got to start with you because you started. <laughs> I've got. What do you think? Do I've got nothing not? against
0: it, as long as it's as long as it's used in the right way. Um, this, this element of human error um, in offside sh- should not ever happen, um, and this this will be the point 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 zero 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 one percent of a time that something like this will happen. Um, purely because you get the lines out, the lines are drawn. It's either offside or it's not offside, and that's that. The the handball issues, the penalty issues, the red card issues. They're the ones that still come down to someone else's opinion. I don't, I don't necessarily like that um, in that way because you're you've got a referee on the pitch who makes his decision based on what he's seen, and then it goes to someone looking at 500 replays and then making their decision, which might be different to the referee's decision. And then you get to certain situations like with Liverpool getting McAllister's red card earlier in the season rescinded because another person suddenly thinks it's not a red card. It's like where where does it end? Where, where do you, what's the point in VAR for those decisions if someone a week later is going to look at the video and go, oh, do you know what? That wasn't a red card. When someone looked at a video and said it was a red card, don't understand.
1: Why are you, Gusty? Uh, happy for it to be used, but if it's used in the right way and the correct decisions uh, come about, as you alluded to a couple of minutes, like that Wolves-Man U game when Wolves should have had the penalty, it's like you've got the technology there. It's, everyone in the world can see that's a penalty. So why is it not being given? So I've, I've no problem with it. It's just got to be used correctly. Uh, if it wasn't in place, Like I was saying at the start of the show like five years ago when Diaz was flagged offside, fair enough, human error. You know, everyone makes mistakes. It happens. It's one of these things. But when you've got the technology in place, you have to come to the right outcome. But we've seen so many times throughout the past few seasons that when it has gone to VR, there's still the wrong decisions being made.
2: Yeah. The thing that I don't like is when... I mean I don't know whether this was definitely the case or not on Saturday but I don't like it when let's say uh, and a, the linesman raises a flag just purely so it goes to VAR it feels like just like oh, I'm going to put my flag up just so we can have a proper check on this um and because let's be honest and Klopp said it you know to be fair you you're expecting that linesman to see that that's onside you know in an actual in a game without any kind of the the crutch to lean on of VAR a linesman should be seeing that that's on side because it was well on the side as well. It's not even marginal. Um, and he should. And and that's my thing with, with technology. It's, it's almost become this thing to rely on. And I absolutely buy into what Postacoglu said as well, is that there's now been put this ridiculously high bar on technology and VAR that it has to be faultless. Whereas, like you guys have said, you know, it, it's, about, it's still about human error and there's still some subjective uh, aspects to it as well, especially with the handball, with Romero last week, you know, the the Emirates. And, yeah, it's – I think it's helped in some ways. I was always liked goal line technology. Again, came in presumably after Pedro (laughs) Mendes' Old Trafford moment. Um, So I've had no issue with that. I would like to see the offside become an automatic thing. If there's a way that they can get that, then I don't understand why that should even be something that's reviewed. It should just be straight to referees' watch bang, it's, it's offside, that's it, we move on. And then, yeah, once in a blue moon, you might have a mistake. I mean, even the, the goal line technology went wrong once, didn't it? Who was that? Was was it Sheffield United or someone? It like was, uh, was
1: it? Villa, yeah. Sheffield United, wasn't they? I think that was yeah. during the restart, Project Restart. Yeah.
2: Yeah. As long as people understand. Went down, didn't they? That,
1: yeah.
2: I'm sure there was a huge deal made about that and everything got, you know, just everyone in the world were up in arms about it.
1: Well, I think they were going down anyway given the results, but I mean, that one maybe didn't have that much of an impact, but it was still the wrong decision. Wow. So I can remember Might have to t- send
2: them on a downward spiral, you know?
1: Yeah. So I can remember at the time, I think someone put on social media, Ref had a Garmin watch on instead of the actual <laughs> one for uh, the goal line technology. Uh, but yeah. <laughs>
2: Other watches are available. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was uh, that. That's my thing with it. The more you can remove the human aspect, it's probably the better. If you're going to go down a technology route, go down that route. When it's just something you know that's just going to aid you in looking at stuff and having that a little bit longer to look at it, then you've got to accept that that's exactly what it is, and it is going to have errors and it's going to have issues, and we can't have a massive hissy fit every time it goes wrong. Um, and blame everyone in the world and want everything changed. My goodness, if we did that with Spurs decisions that had gone against Spurs in the past. Oh, you know, God. In a Champions League final, no less. My goodness. Um,
0: yeah. Everyone yeah, talks I, about I, I, the I, fact I, that it takes too long, doesn't it? That, that we're, we're all kept waiting for VR decisions to and yeah. the lines to be drawn and stuff. And that was the one thing on Saturday. It was over so quickly um, that it was clear <laughs> that there's some kind of breakdown in communication somewhere because... We know that linesmen put their flags up late. They're told to put them up late so they, they, they let the game flow. Um, and the f- linesman's flag went up so late, the Liverpool fans didn't spot it for ages. They were cheering and um, celebrating the goal for a long time after the linesman's flag went up. So clearly, it wasn't made clear to the VAR that it had been made. It had been called as an offside decision. Um, and then when John, no, it's fine. I was just going to say when it when it's um, when when he said check complete. Obviously, that's. Given the referee the indication to play on, absolutely. And there's this weird little
2: subplot as well, isn't there? Of the, um, is it? Oh, I can't remember. Is it a Saudi Pro League? Or I can't remember where it was that there now. There's there's claims that the some of the VAR officials were 48 hours before, across the other side of the world, doing some officiating and the suggestions maybe they were tired. Things like this as well in the VAR room. It's like it's incredible the level of detail that it all then becomes. Um, so yeah, we'll see what the fallout is, but as I've said, you can't now go back and replay you can't do anything like that because and you know there's even some you know line of thought that maybe even Liverpool statement opens up a bit of a can of worms in itself with other clubs and you know how's this going to is it technically putting pressure on officials in itself by doing that and it's uh, And then there's also talk about maybe the players that have spoken out about it. You know, didn't McAllister say something about the 12th man or something? I can't remember. Was that the one where Romero went crying in your room or something? (laughs) Something (laughs) Classic Romero. But there is, there's talk about them now all getting charged for that as well. So can you imagine the uproar that is going to be if they don't get the game replayed? Players get charged, um, probably not suspended, you imagine, fined. I actually felt Klopp, who normally goes in like a you know, bull in a China shop, uh, China shop, he actually came out and was actually quite measured on it. And there was one quote he said that I thought was really good, and actually it goes back to the first re- red card. He said that we play the game in real time but judge it in slow motion. And I thought that was a really interesting comment. Um, he was, yeah, he was really level-headed. I think we are all sitting in the press conference like, yes, here he comes. I what are you
0: going to come out with? I was so disappointed. Was so... <laughs> I want to, I was looking yeah. forward to getting home and looking at the Jurgen Klopp meltdown and <laughs> there wasn't one. I was very disappointed. No, nah,
2: he was very good. Very, th- thought it through. Acknowledged that it was a human error as well. He actually was like, people make mistakes. But obviously, uh, yeah, as a club, I think they've, they've now become absolutely outraged by it. But uh, look, that They've got reason to, I think, with the decision itself, but there's only so far you can take that outrage and, and just have to accept it was a mistake.
1: Yeah. Uh, one other major talking point in the game was Diogo Jota's red card, two bookable offences. Then looking back on the first book in, very harsh. I think there's extremely minimal contact with Destiny a Doggy there, I think. But there is contact. I don't think... He don't mean it, though, does he? He's running back and Destiny's studs... Does it matter? You know, catches intent You've just said that. Uh, that's that's not a booking for me, but he should have been ask booked. You a quick he question? Sh- just wait, just, just wait, just wait. just wait. Just <laughs> wait. <laughs> he should You're have been booked himself. about 10, 15 minutes beforehand for a foul on Basuma. So
2: My question, it's only a very quick one. So if Udogi is running across... Um, Jota in the Liverpool box and Jota catches, uh, or, or his studs catch Jota's knee and Udagi goes down in the box, is that a penalty? Because Or not a penalty because Jota didn't mean to bring him down?
1: Well, if he's given a free kick for this one, then it is a penalty, isn't it? I mean, it might be a free kick, but for me, that one wasn't the booking.
0: There's a booking. There's a higher bar now, isn't there, for penalties? You, there, there has to be real well supposedly um there has to be a, a, a decent amount of contact for to make a player go to go uh, to make a player go down for it to be a penalty although um son hyung min did give away a penalty against brentford on the opening day which um, was very minimal contact and um wasn't a penalty in my book
2: replay the game <laughs> yes um, <laughs> the only thing i would say about it as well is there's got to have been enough force to make him clip his own heels I don't think you just do that. Do you do that deliberately? Can anyone actually manage to trip themselves up by hitting their own heels in that moment? It's not like he hit the ground and tripped or anything like that. It was clearly the little knock of his studs pushed his foot forward into the other foot. Um, What I would say with that, anyone that might be going outraged at that. Jota did a challenge not long before. that should have had a yellow anyway. I think it was on Basuma. And... There's a suggestion, uh, I don't know whether they've released the referee's report or not yet, but it was a suggestion that actually Yellow Card was for an accumulation anyway, um, rather than just that incident. And, and in which case, I mean, let's be honest, he was daft 90 seconds or so later for <laughs> doing that stupid challenge. Um, and what's mad, though, as well, and this is unfortunately where we're at of the game, is we've now seen Destiny and Nogi getting just disgusting racist abuse on social media. And, you know, even just abuse, there's so much abuse on there about diving, you dive, blah, 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 and then you can see it. It's horrible. It's one of those moments where I really wished I hadn't just kind of gone through the comments under an Instagram post and there's so much racist stuff in there as well. It's just like people's just – I don't know whether they use it as a vessel just to say the things that they want to say anyway or they just genuinely – their brain switches off. But It's just disgusting either way. Um, so a young player, 20-year-old player, who got his, his studs knocked, went into his other foot, went down, and suddenly he's like supposed to be some kind of villain in all of it. It's just so ridiculous the way people have to find, a, a like I say, a villain or a scapegoat or something, um, and it's atrocious. And, I mean, that's a whole other rant I could have. I've probably had on the podcast before about these faceless accounts that just do whatever they like on social media. I reported some of them, Got got back from Instagram, sorry, this does not violate our code of conduct. And it's like, what? Sorry. Have you looked at the language? Have you looked at the symbols, the images, what they're using? And that doesn't violate anything. I'd imagine that so many people reported them that eventually, surely something had to have been done. I haven't looked back since yesterday, but it's disgusting how one tiny incident can spark such yeah, outrageously horrible stuff people do. But uh, yeah, I... I I had no real issues with the Jota stuff myself. I think he was kind of um, he kind of put himself into that situation, really.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you'd be if you were Klopp, you'd be so so angry with him, especially when you're down to ten men. I mean, that's just idiotic. That second challenge, really, especially when you've been booked ninety seconds earlier. Uh, But yeah, yeah, certainly second one for me was a yellow card. But I do think. First one was harsh, but he should have been booked for that foul on Basuma.
0: Yeah, I think we can all agree what on that. You? I I, yeah. I didn't I didn't think the first yellow card was a yellow card challenge either. Um just running back and brushing his brushing his studs. Didn't even try to make a foul. Um it's just his action of running, but I agree, he could have been booked beforehand. So um and yeah, idiotic to go and slide in like that after you've just been booked, um, to get a second yellow. Um and it just well, I won't say it ruined it, we won the game eventually, but it just, as you said at the beginning, Ali, it did feel like we were a much better side against 11 men and 10 men. When it was against nine, Liverpool just got all the men behind the ball. They defended heroically. I thought they were excellent, Liverpool, um, and I think they will be right up there come the end of the season because I think they're a very good side. Um, it just, yeah, we, I thought we were just a little bit laboured um, and just couldn't find a way through. Um, essentially. And I think we could have played for another half hour and wouldn't have scored. So I was delighted that one of their players did it for us. Are you a Liverpool apologist? No, like you are. absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> no apologising. Anything beginning with L. Leave apologist, <laughs> Liverpool
2: apologist. Um, yeah, I, but you know, I've already said it. I agree. I just thought they played so well. Um, and when you've got an absolute world-class outlet like Salah, who you can just knock the ball down the flank and he just causes mayhem. Um, although I did feel to be fair to a doggy, I actually felt he dealt as well as he could with him really. And, and having Saka then Salah within, uh, successive weekends, incredible education for him. And I think he came out of it other than the horrific racist abuse, but in terms of the pitch and what he did, I think he, um, he'll be better for that. Um, and, and yeah, showed what you can do.
1: Yeah. Before we talk a bit more about the game and Tom's performance, Ali, do you want to let everyone know about the benefits of using NordVPN? Of
2: course. Um, if you're not aware by now, the Golden Guest Talk Tottenham podcast is sponsored by NordVPN and you can use the service in a host of different ways to enhance your internet experience. NordVPN is the fastest VPN in the world and that means there's no buffering, there's no lagging and you can stream your favourite shows from anywhere in the world without your bandwidth throttling. It's something I've used many, many times over the years, long before Nord came on board with the podcast, and it's something that I will be using on future holidays, one coming up in the not-too-distant future as well, to be able to watch my stuff that I would normally watch at home, and uh, be able to watch it when I cross borders into other countries, and those pesky restrictions will mean nothing to me. Um, It's a really handy way of doing that, and it's a really handy way of also making your devices more secure when you're using public Wi-Fi, because it helps to prevent a lot of the things that uh, unpleasant people can do to take stuff off okay. your devices when you're hooked up to a public Wi-Fi. And not only that, but the outlay on a NordVPN subscription is cheaper for you in the long run, and that's because you can purchase streaming services or bookings for other countries at a much cheaper rate. So, for example, you could book flights from another country rather than booking it as if it's from the UK, and that can save you money by booking it from that location. So it means you're paying out for Nord, but you're saving money overall. There's a whole host of other benefits from signing up to NordVPN, so why not give it a go? You can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash goldguest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee.
1: Right. We've just spoken about one of Tottenham's Italian players in Destiny a Doggy. I think it's early right we discussed Guglielmo Vicario because... At the start of the game, I thought Liverpool were impressive taking the game to Spurs, creating opportunities. And, you know, Liverpool could have been ahead in the opening 12 minutes, but it was some absolute brilliant play from Vicario. I think it was Cody Gakpo, he denied first. And then Andy Robertson on the rebound, brilliant save. Uh, He is becoming a very good player for Tottenham. He's making some key saves, really, uh, week in, week out.
2: Absolutely. Go on, Lee. What did you think of Vigario?
0: Yeah, those two um those two saves, excellent. Um and I just think his all round his kind of um his confidence um and the way he kind of conducts himself on the pitch um and just directs the play from the back. Um he's how old is he? 20, 26, 27? twenty-seven? Twenty-six, yeah. He's just, and new to this league, um, he's just come in and settled down so so easily and yeah, I don't don't want to be all Roy Keane, but he, he's there to make saves. That that's that's his job, um, as it were. But it's it's just everything. Right. It's just everything else that he does on the pitch. Um, he just yeah, he conducts things when the, he's got. He's brilliant with the ball at his feet. Um, he can make those saves. Um, and his his passion is there for all to see. The, the kind of pictures and the videos of him when the goal went in have just gone viral on on social media. It clearly means a lot to him. Um, he's clearly invested in this, this new team that he's joined. Um, and, um, yeah, it's just infectious. I think him, his kind of his personality, um, and how he is on the pitch, um, it is just brilliant. Um, I thought we would struggle. Yes. Hugo Lloris had kind of gone off the boil a lot, a bit in the, um, last year or two. I thought we would struggle to find someone who could really fill those gloves. Um, and yeah, might be getting a bit of ahead of ourselves, but it looks like we've got someone there for, for the next five, six years who, who's just going to be a, a number one for us, which which is excellent. Absolutely. And it goes
2: back to that thing, doesn't it? Of It's not always spending the most amount of money on the most expensive player. It's about getting the right player yep. and he just fits it so well. You mentioned the ball at his feet and that's impressed me the most because that was something that they thought he had the ability to do, but he didn't need to use it much at Empoli. So they had to kind of work on it and say, look, this is what you're going to have to do. We think you can do it, blah, blah, blah. And he, from those early like games when people be like, ooh, he's a bit panicky kind of thing, honestly, he's so composed now. And it's from what we said, to be fair to us, as, as a podcast, we said it after that first match that he needed to get to know where the defence were going to be positioned, where they were going to run, when they were going to move, exactly where his options were going to be at all times. Shock, horror. As soon as he knows where... Um, Romero and Van de Ven, doggy and Porro are going to be, He doesn't. he's not flapping around at all. He instantly knows, right, okay, a doggy's going to be off to the left, I'm going to pass it to him now, or I've got an outlet through the middle, Basuma's going to come short. And it just makes such a difference. He's been excellent. And actually, um Cogli was really good on him the night before, or the day before the game. He uh, just spoke about how much A lot of his character, I think, was key to signing him as well, and he's battled through his career. You know, he was playing in the lower Italian leagues um, until only about a couple of years ago, and he started to work his way up to the top. Um, And actually, it was another good point that Postacoglu said about him and Van der Ven is that the fact of how recently they're, and how quick their ascent has been to the top, both uh, Vicario and Van der Ven, shows you how well they adapt. And he's like how quickly they've gone into the top league in their country or a different country for Van der Ven. Obviously, it's um, in, in Germany. And then suddenly they've leapt into the Premier League and it hasn't looked like a leap. They've looked very comfortable. And it just, he says, it's so adaptable. Um, and then, yeah, he, he was excellent on Saturday. It was two early saves. But also... Everything that came into the box, like crosses, he was so like his handling was so safe, and, and that kind of exudes confidence, I think, to the rest of the defense. When let's be honest, Larice was a fantastic shot stopper, but when crosses came into the box, you're a little bit like, "What's he going to do? Is he going to punch it? Is he going to grab it?" Whereas very much Vicario seems to be, like, "I'm going to get up there, and I'm going to grab that ball," and he holds it really well. And I loved his celebration. I saw a great video. Um, from the perfect angle looking at his celebration for mine. Have I ever you seen the movie Platoon? I don't know why I'm asking Guesty, but <laughs> Years ago. No, no. Yeah. Well there's, there's a key moment, I won't spoil it, but there's a key moment where one of the characters uh is not gonna watch it. Up in <laughs> no, he's not gonna watch it. It's true. But anyone listening, if they haven't seen it, it's a brilliant film. Uh, Charlie Sheen, Tom Berenger, Willem Defoe, uh, I think it's Oliver Stone directs it as well. Flings his arms up in the air like this, um, in a kind of a I can't explain why he does that. But, yeah, it was so like that, that Vicario moment. It's a real kind of iconic moment as well. It's a shame that everything else that came after the game kind of overshadowed just another huge late moment for Spurs. And Vicario sprinted down the pitch at the end of Sheffield United. Obviously, this time he decided I probably won't do that again. I don't want to knacker myself out. But, uh, no, Vicario's – like you say, it's very early days. We're only seven or eight games in. Um, I think it's only seven for him because he didn't play, did he? It was Forster in the Cup. So, Early signs, as long as he can keep going in the direction he's going in, he's going to have the odd mistake because, you know, he is a younger keeper, but it looks like they might have their number one for the foreseeable future, and that would be brilliant.
0: I just felt and on also- Saturday that he was, um, he was. Getting the ball out, if, if he ever had the ball in hand, um, he was trying to get the play moving really quickly um, and he would get the ball yeah. out from through the defence. It was just when it then got from defence to the forward line where it kind of slowed down a little bit. Um, I don't know what you guys felt about that. It, as, as I said earlier, I, I didn't feel like Spurs were going to score um, in that second half just because of the the men Liverpool had behind the ball and how slow it had got when we, when we got inside of their box, essentially. So everything up until that point I thought was good
1: think, Uh Yeah, I f- think for me, overall, Spurs didn't deserve to win. Just watching it back yesterday, I thought a point was probably the fair result. Uh, I thought Liverpool were fantastic on the day. I thought they started really, really well and it's, it's a shame they went, uh, You know, full compliment Didn't have 11 plays on the pitch because that's what you want to see in it. You want to see Tottenham go toe-to-toe with one of the best in the Premier League and see how they do. Uh but they found a way to win and that's what good teams do. Uh I agree with you, Lee. They probably could have gone gone on for another 20-30 minutes, probably wouldn't have scored. I think the issue was when they had the ball in the final third, I should have been playing it out wide more, stretching them, because I mean it was just jam packed in the middle. Uh Liverpool had got what, three centre-backs on the pitch, Alexander-Arnold and Robertson. Uh, on, and I know when you look at it and go, oh, it's 11 men against nine, you should be winning easy. It's so, so hard because they're just, you know, going to be compact, sit back, just frustrate the life out of you and make it incredibly hard to score. And that's exactly what they did. And got to give Liverpool credit because even though they had nine men on the pitch, it still looked dangerous when they went forward oh, and a lot of teams wouldn't have uh been like that. So don't forget yeah. those Allison saves though. Those two
2: saves were brilliant.
1: But I mean that they came before Jota's uh red red card, didn't True. they? That was start of the second half with, you know, the brilliant save from Madison tipping it around the post and then Sonny going uh close as well with a, a good volley from the edge of the box. I think when Liverpool went down to nine men. I don't think the Spurs created that many, you know, guilt edged chances. Really, there were a couple of half chances for Richarlison on the header. Uh, for me, I think the point would have been the fair result. But at least Tottenham found a way uh, to uh, win the game in the end.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so I was put off by the uh, Lee's got some lighting issues.
0: The going lights on have gone him, off because is... I'm not making enough movement. I don't think. I think they're on sensors. You didn't put money in the meter. That's what it is. Oh, there you go. Oh, (laughs) lit
2: up again. It means nothing for people listening on the podcast. But, uh, yeah, the way it ended um, was just ridiculous. And uh, just to be an own goal from a defence that had done so well throughout the game, it was...
0: What a finish as well. yeah,
2: It was a brilliant finish, yeah. I mean, off his shin, to be fair. But, yeah, I mean, a a lot of credit to Porro as well. Thought Poro had a fantastic game. What did you make of him?
0: Yeah, I uh, uh, yeah. He's I think he's he's been brilliant all season, really, hasn't he? Um he's just come into his own. Um and yeah, just when you want I I would argue that we did get the ball out wide um a fair amount in the game um, when we were playing against nine. It's just Liverpool are quite happy to let us have it out there because they packed the box and it was essentially only Richarlison in there. So it's like, well, if you want to get crosses into the box we'll deal with them. You can have the ball out wide and we'll we'll deal with what you put in the box. Um, It was the fact we couldn't pick the lock kind of in and around the box. So many times, James Madison, before he went off, he was just looking for those little pockets of space so we could get a shot off uh, on the edge of the box and just Liverpool wouldn't let him have that yard of space apart from that one time where he got the left foot, um, that Allison tipped around the post, obviously. But yeah, when when you want someone, that's what we didn't do enough. What Porro did in that last minute of injury time is what we didn't do enough fizz the ball across the box and make it difficult to defend. Um, it felt like when we were getting the ball wide and getting them in, Kulisevsky would try and drift one into the back post. And It's like, well, it's Richarlison up against Van Dijk and Matip. It's probably going to end up being headed away. Um, you want those ones, the quick ones across the box, um, that are going to make a defence panic. And that's exactly what Poro did. And it's exactly what Matip did, panic and fire it into his own net.
2: Yeah, I do want to, it's kind of really interesting what you say there about Kuliszewski as well, because if you look at the first goal, absolutely, Madison terrific ball, Richardson gets out wide, plays it into Sonny. It's exactly kind of what they needed to do. And perhaps Kuliszewski with this more predictable, let's be honest, kind of need to cut inside. I think he was always cutting inside into the busy area. And don't get me wrong, he had some fantastic runs at different points from deep where he went past about three or four players. But I just felt that in that moment it needed him to keep going wide and drawing Liverpool players out to then put it into the box. Whereas instead he was cutting inside into just a mass of legs and bodies and it it wasn't really working so well. I do think that's a game where they missed Brennan Johnson, the pace, to be able to go down the outside. And I think they also really missed even Perisic, just come on and put a terrific delivery. I actually felt Madison while he played a lovely pass for the um, first goal when he... Did a second one where Richardson was just offside when he crossed it to Sonny. I actually felt Madison's set pieces weren't very good. That's probably the first time I've I've watched his corners and free kicks and thought, that's you know, you're way better than that. And I think that's where Spurs struggled to hurt them as well. But to be fair to Madison, he and Sonny came into the game essentially walking wounded. You know, they really patched them up to get them out there and they only trained a couple of times. Even Sonny, when he came off, looked like he was getting treatment on his thigh. I asked Poster Coglu after about him, and he just kind of referred to the state he was in when he came into the game as well. It kind of really could do with giving them, I think, at least two or three days off to just try and recover. It's one of those where you just, you'd love them to have the international break off. I mean, Madison might not play too many minutes, so they might get that. But with Sonny being the captain of South Korea, he's going to be just absolutely used for every minute they can get out of him because he's such a wonderful player. Um, but back to Poro. Poro was excellent. I'm so impressed with the way he's adapted to being a more natural right back. I think it's just been amazing. I would actually go as far to say that the defensive side of this game has, has increased exponentially. And I think a lot of that Postacoglu was saying is down to um what's his name? Uh, Matt Matty Wells. Wells. Matty Wells yeah um Matty Wells that has been working with the defense and he's been doing a lot of work particularly with Poro. And uh yeah it's it's really showing because what I would say, and I've been thinking this for a while now, I genuinely think behind Madison Porro's the best passer in the team, other than Madison, maybe the second best passer in the entire squad. He just, he can pick out these lovely balls. I mean, we saw it for Sonny's third goal against Burnley. It just, he's got this ability to, to cut defences apart with his passing. And if you can ally that with a really good kind of level of defending which we're now seeing from him. He's going to be incredibly dangerous. He's going to be a bit like a Trippier type for Spurs down the right-hand side. It's going to be such a weapon going forward. And I do feel for Emerson, at least he's getting loads of time to spend with his newborn son but because he's just absolutely nowhere near Poro right now. He's been that good. And when you've got that kind of pairing with him and Udogi on the other side, I think if if Udogi can, his next step for me, I actually think he's doing really well on defensive stuff. He probably needs to improve the delivery when he gets into the final third. Um, Obviously, he's very young, so that will come. But I think what an exciting pair of fullbacks. For me, I ask this for Guestie, is this the most exciting pair of fullbacks Spurs have had since Rose and Walker?
1: Yeah, I think so. 100%. Uh, The leading question, wasn't it? (laughs) I can't think of... Many more who've, uh, you know, could challenge them, really. No, nah, I think both good-aged, you know, you can play them for the next decade or so if they're going to stay at Spurs and maintain the form. Uh, just on Porro, I thought, defensively, very good. Uh, that drag back on Andy Robertson. Yeah, he likes those, doesn't he? Incredible. Uh, that just shows he's, you know, he was in confidence uh, at the Moment and having an impact as well in the final third i think andrew posicoglu's got two very good fullbacks on his hands who you know can have an impact at both ends of the pitch so i, I can't think of anyone else really in terms of spurs's fullbacks after walker and rose i mean who who've they had Serge Aurier, <sighs> Sergio 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 reggian emerson there's always no.
2: been one or the other has been quite good. I don't think as a pairing yeah. there's really been it's
0: such a, a a kind of a high potential pairing. Oh, uh, you could argue that it's um it's the best back four since Walker, Rose, Vertonghen and Alderweireld with um with Van der Ven and Romero in there now. What do you think of the centre backs on Saturday? I, do you know what? I thought you were a bit harsh on Mickey van der Ven. Um, joined <laughs> yeah. the crowd. Yeah, I've had, i had a couple of, uh, father and daughter on the train told
2: me that and I had someone message me the next morning.
0: I thought he was good. Um, I thought he dealt with Salah really well. Obviously, everyone looks at that the moment where Salah got the better of him and played the ball through for Luis Diaz, but I thought in the main he was good. Um, my son's enjoyed his performance as well. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I think, I'm, I'm not one to tell you you're wrong, but um, yeah, I thought, I thought he was okay. I, I don't think he did Too bad against Salah, against a strong Liverpool team. I thought he he put himself about really well.
2: Am I right to reply?
0: (laughs) Yes. Because I don't really bother doing that on social
2: media. I don't really look at what people say at ratings because they're so subjective. Everyone's going to think differently. But what I would say about Van Der Ven, and people will know I rave about Van Der Ven because he is absolutely class and he's going to be one of the best defenders in the Premier League. I don't think there's any doubt about it. But when you look at the three big moments in the first half... Every single one was van der Ven making some kind of little defensive error or big defensive error. So you had, um, what do you have? The first one was he was turned really easily by Salah. I mean, Salah's class, don't get me wrong, but he made van der Ven look very sluggish in that moment. The ball kind of bounced off him as well. He was very easy to get a hold of him, uh, get past him. Then Gapco goal, van der Ven is a mile off him nowhere near him he's not tight enough but, and then the third
0: one can i can i just say van yeah, Dyke is in acres of space at the back if there's one thing where pedro Porro should have been we've just yeah. raved about pedro Porro that you cannot let absolutely. van Dyke have that much space to head the ball back across the the, the box yeah that's why i gave him a nine not a 10. <laughs> um and romero as well romero absolutely
2: made a mess of trying to cut cut that header out in the middle as well Uh, But, yeah, Van der Ven wasn't close enough. And then Diaz had a really good chance uh, right at the end of the half when he slid in and put it past the post. Who did he get in behind? Van der Ven. So while I absolutely appreciate that he had a few highlight moments and there were moments when he raced back, used his pace, did really well and did a lot of the things that we're kind of now expecting from him despite him being so young. If you make, for me, three big chances that could have led to three goals, one of them did lead to a goal – I'm sorry, I'm not going to mark you particularly highly in my ratings because, as a defender, you're supposed to stop those moments happening. So, yeah, he'll be fine. I've given him eights and nines pretty much in every other player rating. So, uh, one lower mark is not going to hurt him too much. And actually, I looked at his stats. I wonder if I've still got them here because um, his stats were actually because I looked at. When when I had a couple of messages from mates and people I know the next morning, I was a bit like, was I that wrong? So I looked at who scored and who scored had him as the lowest rated player on the Spurs uh, starting 11 by a distance. He was like way, way lower than everyone else. So immediately I was like, ha ha. But then I also looked at the stats. Um, oh, Alistair Gold is never years. wrong.
0: Just uh, for all the listeners. And oh no, out Alistair, there.
2: Gold is, Alistair Gold is is wrong a fair old bit. Do me.
1: you do oh, the God. who scored ratings as well then?
2: Yeah, I do. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, I get a joint byline um, for them as well. Oh, it's really annoying. I had them somewhere here, but ultimately, um, he, his, his, in terms of tackles, interceptions, and clearances, he hardly had any. It was one of those where you look back and you think, oh, yeah," but he did great. He did this. He made this great moment. But actually, every other defender on the pitch did so, so, so much more. Um, in terms of interception. It's really annoying that I haven't gone. I know what's happened. I'm going to suddenly go, I found them, when someone else is talking about something else. But yeah, like Romero had like five or six in some of the categories. And um, yeah, he had uh, he had zero in pretty much all of them apart from two tackles, I think it was. Ah, I'm not going to find them. There's no point looking. looking. Um, but yeah, Van der Ven, he'll have brilliant games. He'll have much better ones. But for me, that wasn't one of his greatest.
1: What I would say, stats aren't everything. And
2: no, this is true.
1: What I would also say is that fair chance where Diaz slid in, that ball from Salah was outstanding. So maybe it's one of these, it's the quality of the ball, maybe on that one, and the movement, which well, should the, be tracked. Maybe, maybe. Uh, but no, I thought it was a really good pass in terms of passing. Then what we need to say. I think we mentioned it briefly. James Madison's pass for the first yeah. goal, incredible. I think Richarlison also deserves some praise for the run because if he doesn't make that run, which was a really good one, then the pass doesn't happen. But as good as that pass was for the first goal, I thought his pass for Son's disallowed goal in the second half was better outside of the right foot, not as much space to squeeze it between the defenders. If Definitely, outside, uh, it yeah. Yeah outstanding pass that one was.
2: was. I found my stats. I found my stats. No one cares anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, they probably don't, but I'm going to say them anyway. Um, so Van Der Ven had two tackles, no interceptions, one clearance. So remember that, because Porro had six tackles, one interception, five clearances. Romero, three tackles, three interceptions, and one clearance. A doggy, two tackles, two interceptions, and three clearances. So yeah, no interceptions. I mean, to be fair... If we're going to say, like, guess he said that stats aren't everything. There may have been moments when he just marched through and took a ball, and it wasn't even interception because he got there so quickly. It looked like it was just him there anyway. But yeah, I yeah. would argue as so, well. Yeah. Under
0: under under Ange ball, do we want our centre centre backs making clearances? No, we want them passing the ball out. So
2: true, very true. I don't know how, it's quite how you quantify a clearance. Is it you know? Is it something like clearing it? something into a box is it like a headed clearance from a corner and things like that so you don't
0: even know what the stats are see I'm going to have to go away and research the
1: stats (laughs) right uh, we'll move on now uh, from the game big game this weekend away at Luton who will go into the game in confident mood following their first Premier League win of the season at Goodison Park Uh, less said about that the better It's going to be a really tough game, this uh, Kenilworth They know Spurs are going great guns in the Premier League at the moment, but you know, tight, compact ground. Luton, I think they're playing either tomorrow or Wednesday at home to Burnley. So if they can get another win, confidence is going to be up. It's it's going to be a tricky game.
2: It is. Did you go? Did you ever go?
1: Yeah, I was scouting uh, Luton obviously ahead of this weekend. So yeah. (laughs) Was the only thing you could take from the game, wasn't it? A scouting report. It? Yes, it was. Yeah. Like I said, the less said about that, the better.
2: But did, I mean, only because it's quite interesting to know. I mean, how did, I haven't seen much
1: of them. How did they look, kind of? they uh, the good from set pieces. Uh, that's yeah. obviously where they scored both of their goals. And Carlton Morris is a handful up front uses his weight really well. So that's going to be a bit of a battle for Romero and Van der Ven. But as well as they've been playing at the moment, you know, you'd be confident on them, you know, coming out on top against him. But yeah, I think it will certainly uh, be a battle, the fight until the end. And I mean, they're going to have to if they want to stay in the Premier League. So, you know, if Spurs win in the lunchtime kickoff, then they go top of the Premier League for the time being. But with Arsenal playing Man City on Sunday, if the result goes Spurs' way, Tottenham could go away uh, into the second international break of the season, top of the Premier League.
2: Yeah, I was just looking at the defense; they've conceded the same amount as Everton. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> it's certainly not among the worst in the Premier League. They've uh, conceded twelve, haven't they? And you've got oh, God, I didn't realize Wolves have conceded more than that. They got a tonk. Did they get a tonking from someone, Wolves? Can't remember. No, sorry, that's they've got 13 has conceded 13 I'm just surprised by that um, yeah it's uh, i think it's it's one of those classic spurs after the lord mayor show matches isn't it where they've come away from the emirates they've they've got a draw they've beaten liverpool however they managed to get there last-minute drama, and then they go to the team 17th in the table. They've got the big chance. Do we go top? And they'd be top for the day at least, wouldn't they? And then you've got Arsenal City. So, potentially, they could be top for the whole international break. And I think we normally know what comes next. Um, But maybe the Postacoglu era is different. Um, Maybe maybe we'll see a different version of Tottenham Hotspur. But I'm looking forward to going there, as long as they accept my accreditation, or our accreditation. I don't know if we have yet, but... It's going to be a very different kind of old-school stadium, Kenilworth Road. Have any of you either of you been there? No,
1: nope. nope. never.
2: I just want to see that end with the houses and all that. It looks just so so brilliant. <laughs> Although they're changing it, aren't they? It's all going to be uh, altered. Um, in terms of the squad, you know, it would be interesting to see what the world has happened to La Celso. La Celso seemed to be training. We were told he was training, but they didn't want to risk him. That was what Postacoglu said. And then he vanished off the face of the earth for the next couple of weeks. Johnson, I wonder whether they're going to end up having a bit of a club versus country thing here, because they've got to really decide whether they want him back in time. He had a a hamstring strain, and it's whether he's back in time to play this game. And if he's not, Wales have got a couple of big games, haven't they, coming up? It's like they're really going to want him involved, when the best probably thing for him would be to, to rest up and not have any potential hamstring issues, and then you've got, like we say, Sonny and Madison really need some rest. Um, Oh, Hoibier, I was going to talk to you about Hoibier. Did you notice at the end, and I checked back on a little video that I could see of this, he didn't stick around for the celebrations. He went off quite early. Uh, Everyone was celebrating for another good three, four, five minutes, and he kind of just went off down the tunnel. And it's not to say he didn't celebrate at all, but very much – I wonder whether there's a sense of he was a bit annoyed that Skippy came on about, what, 10 minutes before him. He was brought on right at the end. And I actually, don't know about you guys, I thought he did really well, Hoybier, when he came on. I thought he really drove Spurs forward. But yeah, no, it's just a little thing I noticed that um, I put that in my talking points. But sorry, I deviate from uh, Luton Town. Yeah, it, it's one of those, our old classic on paper. Spurs should win, um, but they've got to go there and be professional. I do think. Once again, having a free week for everyone to try and recover and to know the game plan, and Luton not having a free week—it's got to play a part, surely, doesn't
0: it? Hopefully, I'll just, <laughs> I just—I can't—I can't get away from the the usual Spurs pessimism of, "Oh, here's your big chance to go top of the league and really cement what you just said: drawing the North London derby away at the Emirates and a win over Liverpool, which never happens." And. Um, yeah, go and go and lose to Luton. Uh, it's um, yeah. Sorry, uh, it's just it's just years of years of that happening. Um, it's just still still there. I can't get too excited yet. Um, even though Andrew's made me excited about um supporting Spurs again and the, and the football that he displays, I just can't get that um that old Spurs out of my head. Um, hopefully, um, everything that andrew has been kind of. Getting into the players and getting into the team changes things on Saturday, and we go out and win three or four nil. That would be delightful. Um, yeah, I'll just, I'll just look forward to the end of the match and, and three points, hopefully. You more happy, happy days. Yeah, more happy days, yes. That was so cool. That, it that was. was so.
2: Do you, do you guys watch Happy Days when you were younger, or is it just me, the old boy? I did watch a little bit of it, yeah. A
1: bit young oh. for Happy Days.
2: Well, look at you! What are you <laughs> rubbish! A bit young for it. Oh, it was—it was a brilliant show. That was so cool. I—I'm intrigued to see what he says about that this week, Postacoglu. I think he'll be more excited about the Fonz talking to him in a video than he was Robbie Williams doing a, a song version of his name.
0: As <laughs> I would be, be as well. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> to be honest, I don't really like that song, Angel. I don't and really like Robbie Williams' my- music. Well, oof, oof, cool, crazy He's not. He's not a Robbie Williams apologist. Wow. Um. Yeah. I. I t- and I found that weird. They played it after the game, and it was like, but you're playing the proper version, so people are having to try to sing the different lyrics over that, because they not just get like a karaoke version of it. And just shove out the instrumental <laughs> or something. I thought that was a bit like. Eh. I am liking um, the—is it "Free from Desire"? Whatever it is that they all go mad at at the final whistle. There was a brilliant moment sat in the press box where I looked up, and just the whole south stand was bouncing up and down to that song, and the players. Basuma always does that thing, doesn't he? And all the players are doing it. Honestly, it was an amazing sight. Um, Yeah, but I'm not—I'm not a massive uh, Robbie Williams Angels fan.
1: Right, just to get back (laughs) to—I knew you were going to bring us back. Obviously, I mentioned the possibility Spurs going into the international break top of the Premier League. A lot at the moment, some people are saying, you know, can Spurs contest for the title? If they do go into into the international break top, you know, a lot more is going to be said about this. So, can they? I mean, this is the question everyone wants answering at the moment. Go on, Ali.
2: Lee. You can answer it. <laughs> uh,
0: no. Uh, not, not, Ooh. not based off what I saw on Saturday. Um, I think we all agree that it wasn't Spurs' best performance on Saturday, but found a way to win. But then you can make that argument that good teams find a way to win. Um, so yeah, I, d- I don't, th- I don't think we're ready. Um, love to be, um, love to be wrong, obviously, um, but I don't think the squad is ready yet. I, I suppose it depends a little bit on where we are come December and what Ange wants to do in the transfer window. Um, he has been known to go and shake things up in January transfer windows um, where he's been before. So I suppose a lot could depend on that. Um, we've got three favourable games coming up in October, Luton, um, Fulham and Palace. So it could look very rosy come the end of the month. But I, I, I just don't think we've got the squad depth um, and the capability to challenge right at the very top all the way through the season. I don't know what you think, yeah, Ali. They
1: need-
2: well, I was going to say, do they need the squad depth this season? Uh, well, <laughs>
0: you're one or two injuries away, aren't you? To the same
2: degree. To the same degree, I mean.
0: Yeah, Bissouma's one yellow card away from a uh, from a suspension, um, as we've we've written about today. An injury to Madison. um Bentoncourt's not back yet. Um, if Vicario suddenly picks up an injury, we've just spoken about the back four being brilliant. If one of them goes it's just one one injury here or there and i just think that squad depth is tested a little bit i'm loath to agree with gary neville but <laughs> but um he does make a good point about the, the kind of the, the subs bench and the depth we got yeah i think personally although posicoglu
2: says there's no schedule there's no schedule to be ahead of or behind i think in terms of kind of where we're at uh, as journalists and the fans as well I think Spurs will be ahead of that this season. I think mainly because of not only because of the brilliant work Postacoglu and his coaches have done with the players, but also I think the circumstances, I think these three weeks these no midweek matches. And the fact that it does give more recovery time and it does put less pressure on the players. And it does also give him more times each week to drill the Postacoglu way in. If anything, out of any of his clubs, he's probably got the most time to work with players. Maybe he's ever had, I don't, don't know. I'll have to ask him about that. Um, and I do think, yes, the squad depth needs to be addressed in January. But I think if you can get to January um, and get to that point in a good position without having, you know, had a... I think Matt, Madison's probably the key one for me. I think everyone else is probably just about a player you can bring in there. With Madison, there's no real alternative. LaCelsa can come in, but he's a different kind of player. Maybe Kulisevsky could play there, but I wouldn't say Kulisevsky's a playing the lovely through ball kind of midfielder. Um maybe play Poro there. Maybe that's maybe he's gonna he could he could play in that role. Um I just think they're gonna be a little bit ahead of where we expected them to be. I kind of was tipping them for a fifth place finish. I've just got a feeling that they're gonna be one of those teams like previous years. There's always one team that doesn't have or two teams that don't have European football or cup football to distract them. And they really focus on the league and do very well. And I think Spurs you know, maybe if they can maintain this momentum, could maybe be a top three outfit by the end of the season.
1: Yeah. I think for me, I think you'll have a better idea come the end of December, start of January. Uh, You know, going great guns at the moment, as you said, Lee got some favorable fixtures coming up and winning becomes a habit when you're in a good run. And the fact is they're going to have Rodrigo Benton coming back in November which is going to be a big, big boost. Uh, I think for me, looking at the fixtures, November and December is going to be a key period because you've got Chelsea at home, Villa at home, and then the first week of December, I think it's Man City away and there's Newcastle at home as well. So, you know, if you can come through those games unscathed, then, you know, maybe. I, I think they can potentially challenge for the top three. Then, if you're wanting to compete for the title, you need to beat your big rivals at home. They beat Emmanuel and Liverpool, got a point at Arsenal. But again, I think it's probably going to come down to if Sonny gets an injury or Madison or Romero, then you're going to be tested a bit. Uh, But they definitely need to add a couple of fresh faces to the squad in January to give them a boost. But if they're in a good position at the turn of the year, confidence is high. No midweek games, maybe. Uh, I mean, Man City, I think they're beatable, aren't they? they lost at the Wolves this weekend. So City aren't going to win it year after year. There's going to be one year where they do slip up. We'll have to wait and see, but I think you'll have a better idea come end of December, start of January. I think that's fair.
2: Liverpool are going to be strong. Like Lee said, Liverpool are going to have a terrific season. And Arsenal, I haven't decided which way they're going to go yet. I don't know. There's kind of signs there they could have another very good season, but there's also signs that they could wobble a little bit as well. Obviously, you know, Spurs and them the only two unbeaten teams at the moment. I'm also intrigued to see who goes out the door in January. I think that's going to be quite important as well. Where is Hugo Lloris? (laughs) Has anyone seen Hugo? (laughs) He's somewhere around the club. It's very strange.
1: Right, we'll leave that there for today's latest episode of Gold and Guest Tot- Tottenham. So, as ever, thank you for listening in and just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news. To grab our huge discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash goldguest. You can receive it in an extra four months for free and there's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. You can find the link in the episode description box.